0: If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter seven. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. If you have an app on your phone, it'll take eight years to open in this cafeteria. Um, so, if we ever build a building, we're going to have cell phone service in that building. That's my only requirement. I don't even. I don't. We don't even need comfy chairs. So. Um. The, uh, we've been talking through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've spent months talking through the Sermon on the Mount. Which is Jesus' first long discourse. Or his first long sermon. And it's a discipleship sermon. Matthew as a book is a discipleship book. And the Sermon on the Mount is a discipleship sermon. Which means, Jesus says, here's what it is to follow me. Like, here's what it looks like to be a person who follows Jesus. Alright? And so he goes through, like, this is how you're blessed. This is what you do with your anxiety. This is what you do with your anger." this is what you do with the hope that you have in Jesus uh, this is how you share all these things this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus All right. and he comes to the end of his sermon and, uh, and then as, uh, as we've talked about this is, he gets to the end of the description of what a disciple is but he's still preaching and then he has these four warnings that he's going to give that we're going to talk about over four different weeks um, and not next week but then this week and the three following weeks and he has these four warnings and they're all uh, two-prong choices kind of things. Like a right or left or a, an up or down or an in or out kind of thing. And Jesus says there are two ways to go. That's the first warning. There's two ways you can go. Two gates you can enter. Two roads you can walk down. Then he says there's two kinds of prophets. Or in our world we would use the word preacher. Two kinds of preachers. all right. Then he says there's two kinds of disciples. Which all of us, if you're a person who follows Jesus, there were in Jesus' day would be disciple like we are a disciple of Jesus so we want to be like him and follow his ways and his teachings and then he says there's two different foundations that you can build your life on and so there's these warnings that Jesus gives so it's, it's kind of like Jesus was talking and he said here's what it means to follow me and everyone goes okay I can handle that and, and you kind of get this temptation to just I, I just want to I got this kind of thing to, I just want to hold on to this And I kind of want to ride this out. And then Jesus says, well, that's not going to be enough. Because there are definite choices that have to go on here. You can't just say, okay, I'm down with Jesus and just try to hold on. Jesus says, there's going to be, there's two ways of living. There's two ways of presenting the gospel. There's two ways of following Jesus. There's two foundations that you can build your life on. And you're going to have to choose those things. And a lot of times we look at it as Jesus is... condemning, like saying if you don't choose the right one it's hell for you, which is correct. But on the other hand Jesus is saying these things because Jesus wants you to be able to follow him. Alright? This is the difference between a great teacher and a bad teacher. A bad teacher wants to fail you. A great teacher wants you to achieve. Right? A great teacher wants you to get the material, a bad teacher says this material is too hard for you. Jesus is great in that he wants you to be able to follow him. And so Jesus is saying you can't follow me if you don't make these decisions. And it's not that he wants to condemn you, it's that you will be condemned if you don't make these decisions. You won't be able to follow Jesus and follow these other things. You won't be able to choose God and because as soon as you throw the and something else in there the God alone gospel falls apart. So let me read this passage so, and let me say this if you're here for the first or second time then it's going to be kind of fire and brimstone for the next four weeks. Uh, so I want you to know something God loves you He really really does alright? But he will smack you around if you don't listen to him. <laughs> Alright? Uh, so, uh, we kind of, we, I want to present God and let you know that God loves you. God loves you more than you could possibly know. Okay? And, and I really honestly mean that. Some people have this image of God that he's this angry guy. Alright? He doesn't want to be that angry guy. You make him angry. Alright? Does that make sense? God isn't messing up this relationship. We are messing up this relationship. So I want you to know that God loves you. And that's God's primary uh, approach to his relationship with you. He loves you. God doesn't think, oh, I hate these people. I guess I have to love them. God thinks, I love these people. And when we break the covenant with God, when we sin against God, God hurts just as much as we hurt. This is the pain that Christ felt when he was on the cross. Alright? This is why Jesus was sweating the night before when he was praying. Because there's an intensity that God feels when his relationship with us is broken. And so God takes that incredibly seriously. So while God is this loving guy who's like our buddy, and, you know, we've got Jesus who winks at us and says, it's going to be cool, you know, at the same time, every time you mess around and you sin or every time you fail, which is, um, that's the sinful nature that we're born with, when that happens, it destroys not only our relationship with God, but it destroys God himself. It actually brings pain to God when we sin. All right? So this is going to be kind of fire and brimstone. If you can last through these next four sermons, we'll let you be a member or something, you know. Uh, but this, uh, it's going to be a little bit intense and, and I'm going to say things that are blunt and later on we're going to, people are going to say, did you really mean to say that? I wrote it down, alright. Uh, like I have four pages today. Normally I don't come up here, I don't look at these, but I'm going to look at these because I'm serious today, alright. So, let me read this. Uh, this is chapter 7, uh, verse 13 and 14. And uh, and, and Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to the people that are listening to the Sermon on the Mount. He finished it up, and now he he concluded the teaching part of the sermon. And now here's four warnings, and this is the first one. Jesus says this: Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, I'm going to read that again, okay? Because that was the first exposure to it. And there's a, it's an obvious compare and contrast that you can see. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, before we get into talking about what this says, I want to talk about what it doesn't say. Because you might have this conversation with someone, or you might Google it later, some people like to figure out whether the way or the road, some Bibles where it says the gate is wide and the way is easy, some Bibles put in the word road, or path right, and people start to argue is the gate first or the road first because what are they, right? well Jesus doesn't say which is first all right? He says there's a gate and there's a way. He doesn't say the way goes through the gate or the gate goes to the way. And you can read whole like master theologians who have doctorates in this stuff who force what they want onto the text. As soon as you force what you want on the text, you're in a lot of trouble. Alright? Which we do this on a regular basis. So it's easy to pick on these theologians because they write books, right? We don't write books so, so that people don't pick on us. Uh, but if we try to force something onto the text or theologize this, Jesus wasn't trying to make a, a big grand doctorate level theological statement here. He's making a statement about what it is to follow him. So we're not going to theolo, theolo, you know, theologize this thing. And uh, we are actually going to allow the scripture to teach us instead of forcing the scripture to fit into what we want it to say. If that makes sense at all. When Jesus is talking, he's talking to people who are Jewish. All right? Jesus was a Jewish guy. And the Jewish people were the people of God. All right? And so the audience that he's talking to has an assumed salvation alright uh, when I was uh, growing up uh, I lived in northern Ontario uh, where if you don't go to church you're Roman Catholic not even just Catholic you're Roman Catholic and so I, was, I spent some time in the Army Reserve when I was in Canada and uh, they, we had to fill in you get a dog tag that says what religion you are so they know what to put above your dead body when you die but we're in the Canadian Army Reserve so I mean come on uh, so mine said I wrote Protestant and they gave me Pentecostal so I wish If I would have died, it would have been a fun funeral, don't you think? uh, My parents would have been like, what is going on, you know? (laughs) Uh, so you would get a dog tag and my friends who weren't religious would write down Roman Catholic and that's what you would assume a lot of times if you live in the south of the United States and you talk to someone they're Baptist right every church has the word Baptist on the end you can go out in the country and there's the you know snake and fire breathing Baptist church and, uh, and just, the word Baptist is kind of this disclaimer uh, that churches put up there and, and so we have this kind of religion uh, an assumed religion and when people that Jesus were talking was talking to, they were assumed to be saved because of their association with the Jewish faith. Uh, This is just a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse 9 Jesus says to them uh, or John the Baptist says this, sorry and do not presume to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these, sorry, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so the people that John the Baptist was speaking to, the same Jewish people, would assume they're the Abraham is our father, so when we get to heaven we say, I'm a son of Abraham, which is the Jewish people I'm in. And John the Baptist and Jesus and the message of the gospel is that it does not matter what your assumed faith is, it does not matter uh, what your cultural faith is, Alright? And when Jesus is talking to these people, he's talking to people who are assuming that they are saved. Assuming that they are good people. When I get to heaven, I'm probably, imagine, my good will outweigh my bad. I'm a good guy. I'm from a Christian country. There you go. Right? (laughs) And if you die and go to heaven, you, I don't, you won't argue over whether it's a Christian country. If you have no basis, you're going with that, right? Uh, okay, yeah, Jesus, I'm, I'm from America, and I was in the political party you like. Which is? Yeah, okay, good. I'm proud of you for not yelling something out there. Uh, so, Green Party! So, uh, anyway. The, uh, when there... I don't even know what the Green Party is, so I'm not a citizen. There you go. I'm just going to rip on your little system here. When Jesus is... When Jesus is talking about to these people who have an assumed salvation, Jesus is talking about that salvation. He's not making theological statements. He's not trying to write a textbook. He's saying the way of following Jesus, your eternal destiny or your eternal destination is what we're talking about. And having an assumed eternal destination isn't the way of following Jesus. When he's talking about this, when he says there's a wide gate, a wide way that leads to destruction. The word that he uses for destruction, and you would see this in in the original languages, and if you studied the, the Bible in this way, is actually the word that they use for destruction in hell. So there's this wide, easy way that leads to destruction, that leads to what we call hell. And then there's this other way, this narrow, lonely way that leads to life. And the words that Jesus used for life in the languages that the Bible was written in mean like a fulfilled, genuine, full life with God. And so Jesus isn't saying there's a life that's going to hurt and a life that's going to be fun. He's saying there are two destinations. And there's a definite distinction between those two destinations. There's a gate that's wide that leads to something called destruction. And when I use the word destruction, when Jesus uses the word destruction, he's talking about hell. Or what we call hell. And when Jesus talks about this gate that's narrow, and this way that's narrow, it leads to life. What Jesus is talking about is what we use, we call heaven. And so Jesus is talking about these two different ways. And so we notice a couple of things when we read this, right? We notice there's two distinct choices. There are two distinct destinations. The first that Jesus brings up uh, is this wide gate and this easy way. And now this wide and easy, it's more than just like that it's big. It's more than just that it's a big gate. It's, that it, it's a simple way. Like it's not a difficult thing to enter through this wide gate. It's spacious. There's lots of different options. When we talk about a life that's leading to destruction, there's a lot of different ways to get to destruction. There's a lot of different ways to get to hell. Some maybe haven't even been invented yet. We can can always invent new ways of doing evil in order to secure our eternal destination in hell. The way to hell is comfortable. It's happy. There's lots of companions there. You may have a lot of friends on your way to hell. You might have a good time. The way to hell is like a fully stocked party bus, and and every nobody on the way to hell says this kind of sucks. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's on this road. Everybody's like, "There's lots of space on this road. Everybody should get on this road because this road is so fun and it's so obvious and it's so right there for everyone to see." The scriptures teach us uh, what this life lived is. Like You can probably think of these things just on your own, but the scriptures teach us, here's what this life is. And it describes things that are called sins. Things that go against what the Bible teaches, that go against the way of God. What happens is because we live in a fallen world and we ourselves are fallen, we start to mistake what what is worldly and what is heavenly. And we mix those things up and we think that a positive experience automatically means that this is what God wants. God wants me to be happy, right? God wants me to have my best life now, right? He does, but it's going to be insanely difficult. That's what Jesus says anyways. Jesus says there is going to be two ways that you can choose. And there is a way that serves you and serves happiness and serves comfortableness and serves companionship and serves just... A, if you want to have a rockin' time, there's a big path with a wide gate that's easy to get into. And nobody will criticize you for your choices in there. Nobody. You go along with it, and you'll be cool. Nobody who's ever been out gossiping Like if you struggle with gossip, never has there been a person who says, you know what, you just need to gossip more, and that'll solve everything. (laughs) You know, like, no, it's just an assumed thing. Uh, It's just, let's gossip more. And never when, if you're getting together with your friends, and you're getting plastered, no one ever gets mad at the person who gets too plastered. I've had friends, I had a friend in high school who was legally dead because of his alcohol level and nobody said, hey, that might be a bad idea everyone said, awesome now, we were like 14, and so, and this friend was a couple years older and it was northern Ontario but still, at some point you grow in your, you know, we didn't have brains yet but uh, when we, at some point you look at that and somebody should be saying, hey, that's a bad choice, right? if you're apart from God how is that a bad choice? if the goal of your life is comfort, enjoyment getting on the obvious wide road how is that a bad choice? when we have sex outside of marriage it's a sinful, it's a sinful thing it's a sinful act and yet there's nothing in our culture that says hey that's a bad idea nothing when we struggle with pride start. This is, I don't want to just point out your sins. If you talk to pastors who work like 80 or 90 or 100 hours a week, it's the only, uh, like, uh, you can't, it's the only aholic, a workaholic pastor. It's awesome. I have friends who are pastors who the church pats them on the back because they never spend time with their family. Because they never, like, take a rest. Because they don't Sabbath. The Bible only commands it. But I'm a workaholic, right? So you can, if you're a pastor and you're addicted to something, other than work, you're removed. Right? Because we recognize that as unhealthy. That's probably true in a lot of jobs. But if you're a workaholic, we're going to pat you on the back and say, good job. Isn't that terrible? And then if you don't work the 80 hours, the 80 hour workers are going to can criticize you. Say you're lazy. I work 90 hours last week. Oh yeah, do your kids know your name? No. Okay. <laughs> it, is, it is a funny thing. And, and I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm not using this as a case for my own laziness. You can talk to my wife or my family or my friends. Uh, I love working for this church. But if all of you go to heaven and my kids don't, screw it. I don't care. You know what I mean? If I had the choice, y'all can go to hell. My kids are going to heaven with me. Right? <laughs> I hope you have the same attitude. It's true though. Don't act like it's not true. I really hope you go to heaven. Uh, but I care a lot more about Like if this building's on fire, you deal with it. Uh, I'm going to find my kids, you know? Uh, and that's, that's, that's true for me and that's true for you. Uh, so uh, there's sins that we can celebrate and our culture will celebrate these sins. And, and it's just, it's reality that sin is celebrated. Because this is the wide road. If you're in a place, or if you're talking with friends, or talking to people in your class, or talking with people at your work, and they're celebrating something that's sin, it's like a big road sign that says, hey, this is the wide road. Hey, this is the easy gate. Those are the road signs along that way. When we look at sin and we party about it, and we celebrate, hey, right on. People sin. (laughs) And when we talk about it, it's, it's obvious, right? Like when, I, when we put names to those sins, when we worship ourselves instead of worshiping God, it's obvious. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's harder to see because this easy, wide way is kind of the natural way. It's the way of our world. It's the way of our culture. There's this kind of, we talk about this often, uh, that we would want our whole country to come to know Jesus, our whole city or the whole valley, Uh, I want the whole country of Bolivia to come to know Jesus, right? The Bible teaches that that's just not going to happen. Because the Bible talks about these two ways. One has a lot of people on it. The other doesn't. The people who follow Jesus, in a global sense, will be a minority. And I'm not talking about the people who claim Christianity on their dog tags in case they have a funeral or say I'm Baptist because I'm from the south or I'm Christian because I live in a Christian nation. When Jesus is talking to these people who are assuming their salvation he's saying most of you are going to hell. If you want to have an offensive sermon if you want to have like less friends at work at break time on monday say most of you are going to hell (laughs) i mean let's just talk let's just face the facts because if you're going to hell the mention of that you're going to hell is something that might become uncomfortable and the whole point of this road to hell is comfort if i bring up things that make When And if you're reading the scripture, or if the Holy Spirit impresses things on your heart, and you're like, you know what, that makes me uncomfortable, I'm not going to respond to that, what you're saying is, I'm choosing the way to hell. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? We want the ways of God to be evident on the ways on earth. When we choose the easy, wide way, the way of sin we're actually saying I want a little piece of hell here on earth I want hell to reign on this planet now if we talk about that it makes us uncomfortable so we push that back down but we have choices we either are bringing heaven to earth or we're bringing hell to earth their current realities their eternal destinies but their current realities and there are two choices and there are distinct choices there isn't one gate you go through and then when you die you get a second chance to go through the other gate there isn't like I'm gonna go through that gate but when I hear the trumpet and see Jesus in the sky I'm gonna turn and run through that gate really fast there isn't I went through that gate when I was a kid I said this prayer and it was like the password and now I'm gonna go over here for a while but when I die I still got my ticket when I went through that gate. There's two choices. There's two ways to go. There's two gates, two roads. There's a wide way and then there's this narrow way. The narrow way is described as a more difficult way. It is a more difficult life to follow Jesus than to not follow Jesus. Do you hear that? It is a more difficult life to follow Jesus than to not follow Jesus. If your goal in life is to take it easy. I encourage you to not follow Jesus. Because it will be a lot easier. If you submit yourself to the scripture, if you want to pray and talk to God, God will speak back to you. And God will challenge you to grow in Him. And it will be more difficult. It will be more lonely. People who follow Jesus end up having this experience where they look around and they notice that they're the only one in the room who's following Jesus. This is one of the reasons uh, when we have a youth ministry here they go to this thing called the Choir of the Fire it's down in the Matthew Knight Arena they bring in Christian bands and they blow stuff up and they, they repeat the same things that our youth pastors or our youth leaders have been saying all year but the kids respond to it. Um, here's why because our kids are sitting in their classrooms and they're looking around and they feel like they're the only one there who's a believer and then we put them in a stadium with a bunch of other believers and they're like "I'm I'm not I'm not alone because this way of following Jesus you'll have that feeling a lot I think I might be alone this is why we get together so often like every week and then a lot of us get together in life groups during the week and a lot of us spend time with each other talking about our spiritual lives because The way of following Jesus, you'll experience this loneliness. This is what Jesus experienced when he was here on earth. Look at Jesus' life. There are times when Jesus felt incredibly lonely. Like that night he was arrested and all his best friends took off on him. Yeah, then. If you've ever felt abandoned, mm, you're starting to feel like Jesus. If you've ever felt alone, because of your faith, those are road signs of the way of following Jesus, of the way of the narrow way. It's uncomfortable. Like if you read your scripture and it's always comfortable, then there may be a problem there. Or you're entirely sanctified. You're God Himself, right? Uh, You're not. Okay, that was a joke. So Some of you are like, maybe. No, you're not. Alright? When you read your scripture, or you submit yourself to the teaching of Jesus, it becomes uncomfortable. The way of following Jesus is obscure. It's, it's not self-evident. You didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'd like to follow the Creator of Earth. He must have a Bible or something that I can grab. And I can read that. And I can gather with others it's not, it's, it's not like there's this wide gate it's really obvious, it's got bright lights and it's shiny and, and you know and, and you can see it in the desert from all over as your plane comes in because the flights are cheap and the hotels are cheap but, um, the narrow gate is this weird out of the way place like there's this big, 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 big entrance with lights and excitement and everybody's going there and then there's like this little side door over here There's no sign, no like big promise over here. There's no noise of a party going on. Just every now and then someone goes in there. And they start walking down this path that's kind of difficult to walk down. See, the way of following Jesus, while the wide gate can get wider, the ways of doing evil, we can always invent new ways of doing evil. We cannot invent new ways of following God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus says that He alone is the way. The gate, the way to God, is through Jesus. The way to follow God, the path, is the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. There's only one way. We don't get to invent new ways. Like, I'm going to follow Jesus with this and this. No, it's Jesus, and that's it. It's a narrow way. It's an interesting thing because we live in a religious marketplace in a way. Like you can, there are multiple religions that you can tr- choose in our culture, or you can choose bits and pieces of those religions. All of that, wide gate. This is intolerant. Jesus, narrow gate. Jesus and this, or Jesus in this way, or Jesus and this extra book, or Jesus as you know, and I get my own planet someday. Wide gate. Alright? All of it. Wide gate. So it's not like there's a bunch of religions and then there's sin. Are Are you catching this? This is what I mean by a little bit fire and brimstone. There's Jesus. There's everything else. And you get to choose. And if you want to follow Jesus, you either choose everything else or you choose Jesus. And there's lots of people who I'm going to act like I'm going through that door but I'm really going to go through this door over here. Because going through that door is an unnatural thing because we live in this fallen world and we are fallen people, and so going through this wide gate is the obvious way to go. And yet going through that door is the more difficult, the more obscure, the weirder way, but we know it's the way. And we know that we must make that choice. It's it's like there's an enduring ethic to this. That's the way, the path. The path. We live in a way, you live in a way that's wide gate, you live in a way that's through the narrow gate. But there's also, so there's this enduring ethic, but there's also this evangelistic decision. And evangelistic means, there's like a word for evangelism, meaning, you make a decision based on the presentation of the gospel. Based on the understanding that we, God made us to live with Him, our sins separate us from God, our sins can't be paid for just by doing good things. Jesus paid for our sins through his death, his, through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that everyone who puts their full trust in Jesus will live forever with God. And so you take this story and you make a decision about it. You take this presentation of God, by God of Jesus who is God. And you make a choice over what am I going to do with that? And your choice is a wide gate or your choice is a narrow gate. Your choice is an easy life right now that leads to hell or a difficult life right now that leads to real, enduring, eternal life. This is the choice. I kind of wish, you know, like you, that there was some wiggle room in there, right? Like, what if I'm having a bad day, Jesus? You know? What if, you know, stuff is happening in my family? I could really use some wide gate action right now. This is why narrow gate is difficult. If following Jesus was easy, everyone would do it. It's just true. Well, it probably, it probably isn't even true. <laughs> but it would be more likely. And there's this whole like temptation that I feel, that you feel, to make it easier. Like I want to make following Jesus easier so that more people can do it. But when I hear Jesus talking, he's making it more difficult so that people can do it. And if I make it easy for you, and I say, following Jesus is easy, just ignore those parts of scripture that you don't like. Because Jesus probably didn't mean that, and we can theologize something to change the meaning of it. Original language, blah, blah, blah. Right? I would love to make it easy for you to follow Jesus. I would love to make a big wide gate for you to follow Jesus. And that's a temptation. It is a terrible temptation because I want you to be able to follow Jesus but if I make a big white gate if I show you that it's an easy path then maybe I'm leading you in the complete wrong direction that's next week's sermon so we won't go too far down this road I'll tell you this following Jesus is some of you are already following him and your testimony can already attest, like you can already bear this out in your life. Some of you have never made that decision. Like some of you, maybe today is the first time that you've heard that there's choices in life. Following Jesus is the biggest decision that you can possibly make. He will make your life incredibly difficult. But it will make your life a life that's lived with God. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew Jesus says, everybody follow me. Go tell everyone to follow me. Make disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you. Baptize them. And Jesus ends the Gospel of Matthew with this. And I, I'm, you all memorize it in the King James, right? And lo, I am with you until the very end of the age. Jesus' enduring promise is, I am with you. So when you're walking down that narrow road, you're not walking alone, you're walking Together. And to that end, Jesus created the church on earth because when you're walking down that narrow road, you're walking together. So when we bring the teenagers into an arena and we show them, look at all these other people, it's like, hey, you're walking with these other people who are experiencing exactly what you're experiencing. What you're dealing with right now, in your spiritual walk or in your life, I bet you someone who's sitting in your section is dealing with the exact same thing you're not alone. You may feel these feelings of loneliness, you're walking through something difficult, but we walk through it together.